Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Turn with me to Galatians 3. Galatians 3. We're going to be reading, uh, covering verses 6 through 25, but um, I'm just going to be reading 6 through 14 and then 23 through 25. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Well, skipping down to 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Let me pray once more. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would do something bigger in us than we could have thought could happen when we showed up this morning. That the light, the glory of the gospel of Christ would be brighter and give more hope, more encouragement than we could have imagined. So do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's one of the best gifts you've ever received? You know, maybe for Christmas or a holiday. Can you think of just a really great gift you've received? Mine is pretty obvious. Um, I, I, uh, I was about six years old, and I was at my grandparents' house for a holiday uh, when my grandfather, who was pretty old at the time, comes to me and says, hey, before you leave, I've got something for you. So, okay, well, so um, right before we leave, he comes and he says, oh, oh wait a minute. Let me go get your, your gift for you. And, and he goes back to his room and emerges with a really old uh, shotgun. <laughs> and, uh, and, and even though I knew um, I wouldn't be able to shoot this gun for some years, I knew this gun was really special to him. And I knew he wanted to pass it on to me. He wanted to be in the family. And um, I felt like he'd just given me the whole world his treasured possession. Now, can you imagine if a week later I get a letter in the mail? Hey, Michael, it's Grandpa. Um, 
Remember the shotgun I gave you? Hey, hey you, you know, I was thinking next time you were here, you could help me clean out that old shed. Maybe, uh, you know, every time you come, you can maybe help, help around the yard a little bit. In fact, you know, man, I could really use some good foot rubbings. P.S., remember the shotgun I gave you. What does that do to a gift? <laughs> Turns it into something that needs to be earned, right? You need to perform for it. Uh, maybe you've received something that you feel like that there's strings attached, uh, like it was given to you by some kind of promise for free, but um, then later you feel like there's, there's expectations that you perform. Instead of the blessing of a free gift, you feel like now you have to earn it, and it almost turns that gift into a what? Almost into like a curse. This is what's going on with these Christians in Galatia. They'd received a free gift of Christ. Still, though, they were thinking of God as, as having some strings attached, some add-on expectations, as if this free gift depended still on their performance. They made it into an equation. It looked more like this. God's gift plus our good works equals God's blessing. You gotta add in our good works. And, and some of you here, well, some of you might not even be believers this morning, and, and you're just learning about what this free gift is, but maybe your default thinking is, uh, of course, that's what, that's what a relationship God means, right? You just, you've got to behave for God. You gotta produce good works. Um, and some of us, though, who are Christians, we know, we've heard a lot about this free gift. We know it's all by grace. But at the same time, this formula takes root in our heart, does it not? We know that we're saved by free grace, but we still live as, as if God relates with us based on our performance, like there's always strings attached. So we wanna look at two things. Number one, the curse of relying on your performance. There's a curse of relying on your performance. So look at verse 10 with me in your Bible. You can keep your Bibles open or look here on the screen. Um, verse 10 says that all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. A curse. I grew up watching Indiana Jones <clears throat> movies and it seems like several of them contain some kind of curse that was unleashed from disturbing the ancient tombs and the temples or something like that. Um, other movies have included this thing, a curse like, um, like Pirates of the Caribbean, the curse of the Black Pearl. But other than movies like that, we're pretty unfamiliar with this, um, this curse thing. Uh, the Greek word used here, curse, has been used for several hundred years at this point, since the 5th century BC, it was thought that, that really bad people doing bad things would be cursed and therefore under divine judgment. That's what it meant. Now we, of course, who know the Bible, uh, know that this curse has been around for thousands of years before that, since the beginning, right? When Adam and Eve chose not to rely on God, but rather disobeyed, relying on themselves, and therefore were cursed in Genesis 3, uh, this curse was divine judgment. It was spiritual death, separation from God's presence. That's why they had to leave the garden, right? They had to leave the presence of God. That was their curse. And for the most part, I think we're okay with something like this, right? We, we can kind of sense, yeah, the worst of society deserved to be 
under divine judgment. Um, you know, premeditated murderers, sex traffickers, you just feel, yes, they deserve divine judgment. And that's why we should be a little bit shocked when we read verse 10. It doesn't say the bad people are under a curse, right? It says all who rely on the law are under a curse, actually. The law referring to God's moral commandments. Those who are trying to do good. Now, well, it does sound like he's saying good people might be cursed. Um, what's going on here? For starters, let me just make it clear that he's not saying simply uh, trying, to, trying to, to keep the law, trying to be good, um, is what he's talking about. That's not, that's not who's cursed. As if, like, the law itself is bad. Uh, the law or commandments, that's not the problem, right? Last week, uh, Ray was preaching on, you know, some things like this out of the passage before this, and, and he's preaching on how rules fit into this and laws, and he, and he says, you know, really emphatically, he says, rules don't work. Rules don't work. And my 12-year-old girl sitting next to me kind of leans in <laughs> and says, see, Dad, rules don't work. And then my nine-year-old little girl on the other side starts chanting, Rules don't work. Rules don't work. <laughs> sure appreciate that one, Ray. <laughs> yeah, and so if, if any of you parents are, you know, like still on the fence about the parenting conference, Ray's not teaching, or rest assured, like you're good to go. Uh, we've kept him out of that, so no. Rules aren't the problem. The law's not the problem. <laughs> Verse 10 says that relying on the law, relying on the rules is the problem. Rely, rely on. What's that word in, the, in that passage? It, it's actually an interesting translation because the word means, it comes from the verb to be. Um, the to be verb when he says rely. And it's almost like he's saying it's meaning something that you trust in so much, you form your identity around this. To rely on the law means your identity before God is based on your performance for God. It's believing that God loves you and accepts you based on something you do or don't do for him. It's believing the equation. God's grace plus my good works equals God's blessing of me. Well, how do you know if this is you? How do you know if you're relying on the law? Like this. Well, there's, let me give you three ways that you might be relying on the law. This might have subtly creeped into your life. One is just an, an inner insecurity, right? If you believe God is always basing his love for you on a daily evaluation of your performance, and, and, and maybe you feel like you never measure up to that then you'll live with a sense of insecurity before God and others. And, and the interesting thing is, is there's almost like a subjective curse that you'll feel. You'll feel like God's always displeased with you. You'll feel a sense of condemnation. You'll feel like you, ease, you always need to beat yourself up. You'll never be able to forgive yourself. You have frequent feelings of guilt. Why? Because your being, your identity is based on your performance. You're relying on the law. 
and you're never enough. Well, maybe you feel rather, uh, not that, uh, but rather a feeling of superiority. Uh, You feel like, okay, God's acceptance is based on my performance, but you know what? I'm killing it. (laughs) I'm rocking it. And you would never say that, of course. You just kind of subtly go through life like, I'm good. I'm doing everything that God ever wanted me to do. A really good person. And the subjective curse of of inner superiority or things like, you know, it's really hard for you to be real before people. It's really hard for you to be vulnerable. It's really hard for you to admit you're wrong in your small group, especially in your home with your spouse or your kids. You're striving to be good, but inside, you may know that it's not true. People like this, if, you, if this is you, you know, it's, you're really quick to get easily angered when somebody criticizes you, because surely you haven't messed up. Um, sometimes, and this is, this is a reality for some marriages, you feel, like you, you feel like you have the moral high ground because your spouse has, has not performed like you have and done something maybe really bad. And so you always kind of hold them beneath you feeling of, ins- of superiority. Uh, number three, you might know that you're relying on the law if you have a critical spirit. See, relying on your performance leads to constantly evaluating the performance of others. You frequently measure people up. You label some as in or out based on, on what they do or don't do in terms of what's right before your eyes. The subjective curse for you in this situation is just constantly being critical. You constantly have to evaluate others, whether verbally or not. It's really hard for you to forgive people who hurt you. Well, because, well, they haven't performed like you have. Relying on our performance is so subtly inside us all. I don't know about you, but I feel like I experience all three of those sometimes. I'm in and out sometimes of feeling that subjective curse. Even we, like, like these Christians in Galatia, so easily rely on the law. You know, I was with one of my um, <clears throat> best friends um, a couple years ago. He's a PCA pastor. Um, and, and uh, you know, he, he came to see this in a big way, how he was doing this. He's pastoring a church. He's preaching the gospel every week. He had... Uh, several young children at the time, seemingly rocking marriage and rocking parenting. And then he, you know, one time he invited this counselor friend to come and, and do some work at his church. And, and, um, and this counselor stayed at his house. And uh, so several days staying at his house and then teaching at his church. And then on the, on the, one, on the last day, they went for this hike. And on this hike, after... Um, um, being with the family the whole week, this, this counselor looks at my friend and says, hey, you know you're killing your oldest son, don't you? He's like, he's just six years old. What do you mean, what do you mean by that? And she said, yeah, yeah, he's really in trouble. Uh, you're, you're so hard on him. You expect him to be perfect He's trying so hard to please you. He's living under such a burden. He's not living free at all. All right, well, appreciate the walk. Great hike. Note to self, don't 
invite a counselor to stay with you. <laughs> if you're a parent, though, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to judge, right? How easy it is for us to hold our kids to standards that we ourselves haven't kept and still don't keep. To pressure them to succeed or perform in ways that we haven't and don't. My friend told me that it was a wake-up moment in his whole life and ministry to have such an obedient child, right? So externally good. Everybody in the church would have said, man, that is the, that's the pristine, obedient child. And for someone to say, he's really in trouble. He believed and preached the gospel, but in some areas of his life, he was relying on his performance. And oh, sure, relying on the law and our performance, it can produce really beautiful outward children, outwardly good uh, families, and really a, an outwardly kind of performing, outwardly good church, but only for a while, because on the inside, if you look behind the curtain, you find burdened weighed down people, inner insecurity, feelings of superiority, judgment, crushing you and crushing others around you. See, our relationship with God is not meant to be a maze filled with signs of do this and don't do that, feeling like you're always trapped in this, running around this little tight corridors. No, you're meant to be set free. Christ has set you free, as Galatians 5 says. You are meant to be free indeed. How can we live in that freedom? How can we live in the freedom and not under the curse of living by our performance? Well, let's look at point two, the blessing of resting in God's promise. Let me give you two things that we must do in order to escape the trap of living by our performance. Two things. Number one, embrace the law as a mirror and not a savior. Verse 11 shows that God wants it to be crystal clear, clear that no one is justified by God by the law. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law. To be justified means to be declared just or righteous, to be declared righteous. Simply put, nothing you can do can earn God's acceptance and love. But, you know, here's the thing. I don't think that is very evident. It's not evident to me all the time. I don't remember that all the time. I don't think it's evident to you all the time either. So he gives us a bombshell truth to remember. Verse 10. If you want to rely on your performance to be declared righteous, he said, you be better be really, really, really good. In fact, he said, you better abide by all things written in all of God's law and do them at all times. In other words, you're not allowed to minimize God's law in order to fit it to your performance. You're not allowed to take a... a, a, a a commandment like thou shalt not murder and just say, well, I haven't murdered someone. No, you've got to think about what Jesus says, right? Uh, have you hated anyone in your heart? Oh, well, that's murder. That's considered murder in God's eyes. In fact, uh, you have to include what the whole Bible says about that commandment. You can't even be sinfully angry, anger, uh, angry towards someone or quarrel with others. And on the positive side, it means you have to always be honoring someone around you, whoever's around you, above yourself, loving them 
as yourself. In other words, using the same intensity with which you love yourself to love those who are most difficult in your life to love, to be kind to, to serve, to build up, including your in-laws and enemies. (laughs) Who wants to be evaluated on the law? The reality is, is we can't even live up to our own moral standards, can we? Francis Schaeffer gave a great uh, illustration of this. He said, imagine if when you were born, somebody put a little recorder around you. And every time throughout your life, this little recorder kicked on every time that you made a moral judgment to someone else. You held them to some kind of standard, it kicks on and records that little moral standard. Now, imagine one day you stand before the judgment of God before a just and holy God and he takes off this little necklace and he presses play. Hundreds of hours of you making moral judgments on uh, other people. And then he says, hey, before I get to my law, let me just see how you've obeyed even your own law. (laughs) Who wants to be judged by keeping at all times your own law, much less his own Another way to look at this, for it to be evident, is Ecclesiastes 12. God says he will bring every wrong we've ever done into judgment, including every hidden thing. So, oh my. (laughs) Every careless word, every impure thought. It's not like we just have a recorder around us. It's like we have a a little GoPro (laughs) attached to us. And it, it records every, every, hidden, shameful thing we've done in secret or thought that didn't come out. And and then imagine you take your family to New York City and you're walking around in Times Square with all those massive screens and you, oh kids, look at this and all of a sudden somebody gets that little tiny GoPro and he presses play. It pops on all those huge screens and everybody looks up. All right, kids, move along. Move along, back to the hotel. The law and your performance of it was never meant to be your savior. Verse 19 says, the law came to help us see our sin. Verse 21 says, not one law was was ever given that could give you life. And verse 23 says, the law rather imprisons everyone who relies on it. Or simply put, I heard one, as well, I heard one pastor say, the law was meant to be a great mirror to see yourself, but it's really lousy soap to clean yourself up. An old theologian said it similarly. He says, the law is meant to be a light to reveal the dirt in your room, but not the vacuum to clean it up. God wants you to look into the law like a mirror and then evaluate your performance and see just how far short you fall of the glory and holiness and perfection of God. How far far short you ever will be able to rely on your good works or add that to that side of the equation in order to be justified or righteous for it to set you free. And anyone who ultimately, listen, this is true, anyone who ultimately, if you ultimately rely on the law, if you go before God and your works are on that side of the equation, the Bible is very clear. You'll stand before God and you will receive his ultimate curse the divine judgment of being forsaken by God and separated from God's forever presence. This is nothing to trifle with. Relying on the law is not a joke. 
Embrace the law as a mirror, and even this morning, let it reveal just how much we need a different Savior than ourselves. So the question is, how can this curse be dealt with? How can we deal with this and get God's blessing? Verse 9 says something amazing to all of us this morning. It gives a lot of hope. Listen, it says this. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. This is crazy. 2023 we live in. We're here in Lacanto, Florida, and it says this, that all of us here, each one of us, are capable of being blessed in the same way by God that he blessed Abraham, the father of Christianity. Do you believe that? You're capable of being blessed, not cursed, but blessed in the same way along with Abraham. Do you believe that? How do we get this blessing? Well, Paul goes with great effort to answer this in this passage. He just says simply, what did Abraham do? What did he do? Well, he believed. He just believed the promise. It says faith. He believed in what? He believed God's promise to perform for him. And that's what we've got to do. He simply believed that God would perform for him. Think about he, how Abraham got blessed. You think he got it by his performance? Paul reminds us in verse 15, we didn't read all this passage, but he, reads this, he, he reminds us of this thing that happened in Genesis 15 called a covenant. Ray mentioned it, I think, a few weeks ago, but as a reminder, he says, do you remember how God set up this thing, this relationship with Abraham? He came and blessed Abraham, but he says, hey, let me, let me show you how this is gonna work. Now, he says, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. Abraham was very familiar with that at the time. You cut up animals, bloody animals, and then you walk through this thing together whenever you make an agreement or covenant like this to say, um, if either one of us don't keep our side, this side my side of, the, of this agreement, then um, may it be to me as if, as it was done to these animals. If I don't perform, let me be like these animals. And then, and then they're about to walk through and, and all of a sudden Abraham is put to sleep by God. And he has this vision of a smoking fiery pot thing which symbolizes God walking through alone. And, and Abraham walks, wakes up and you can almost imagine being like, oh no. God, I, you know, I must have been up late last night or something because I just, I dozed off. But hey, I'm ready to perform. I'm ready to go through it. You know, give me another chance. But you know what God was doing, right? He was symbolizing, signifying to Abraham that, you know, that's not necessary. It's actually not necessary for you to perform at all. In the most vivid way possible, he was saying this. This is the truth. God was saying, my love and my acceptance of, of you depends on my performance, not yours. See, some think, some think, oh, Old Testament law, you know, good works. And the New Testament, Jesus comes in grace. Oh, no. Verse 8, as it says in verse 8, all of Scripture preaches the same gospel, the same good news. It is not, it's not, as this equation shows, God's performance or God's promise plus your performance equals God's blessing. Rather, the whole Bible says it's God's promise plus God's performance equals 
God's blessing for you. Only difference in the Old Testament was that Abraham and everyone in the Old Testament just didn't get to see how God would perform. How would God do it? How would God deal with our curse and give us this blessing? And verse 13 says it. Look at it. One of the most incredible passages in the New Testament. How would God ultimately perform for us? Christ. Christ, who was God in the flesh. God himself would redeem us from the curse of the law by what? Becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The blessing of God would require someone to perform and abide by all things written by God's law at all times. So Jesus came and did this for you. He did that for you. The, 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 the law required someone to be cursed, to be taken outside the city. Your breaking of the law, to be hung on a tree. So Jesus did that for you. Notice it doesn't say he just took the curse for you. He actually became the curse. And so let, let it sink in what that required. It, it, it required that Jesus take that little recording device off and all those failing moral judgments and all of God's law were put onto Jesus before his father. And, and the little GoPro with every careless word and impure thought that you've ever had and all the shame of it, it wasn't played before Times Square with an escape route. No, it was played before God the Father. And there was no escape route because this was always the intention. Nails on a tree. And then that's why all the divine judgment of God fell upon him. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, he knew the answer to the question. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin or to become sin as if he was the sinner. Of course, he didn't do it, but he became as if he did everything that we did so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Martin Luther called this the glorious exchange. Our unrighteousness and resultant curse went to Jesus. Jesus' righteousness and his resultant blessing came to us. Some of you can kind of get this, especially if you've had children go to college, right? Um, see, you've earned a lot of money in your life, and then you send your child off to college, and they amass a lot of debt. And you use the money you've worked for to pay off their debt. And then sometimes you even, you put money into their account and they use it as if they've earned it when they really didn't. It's an exchange. Let this sink in though. We're not talking money. We're talking righteousness. We're talking eternal life. We're talking that God has performed for you all that you ever will need to be blessed by God. And so what's your responsibility, you may ask? What's your responsibility? It's simply faith. Simply, what, what did my grandfather want me to do with that gift? He want me to run out the car and grab a few dollars from the, and, you know, all of my piggy bank and come? No, he didn't want me to pay it off. He didn't want me to add my goodness to it. He wants me to just receive it and enjoy the gift. 
Faith is simply receiving and resting on God's promise, the promise that God, Jesus became the curse you deserve. The promise that Jesus gives you all the righteousness you need. As verse six says, Abraham just believed God and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. So where does our good works fit in then? Where does it fit in? How does that, how does that work? Some years ago, a few years ago, there's a story that came out about a Mexican um, illegal immigrant uh, named Garza. And he, he desperately, like many do in, um, in, in, in uh, South America, they want, want the blessings of being a U.S. citizen. So he started crossing the border, swimming, dangerously swimming across the Rio Grande in order to get um, uh, to find work. He'd applied for, you know, to be a U.S. citizen, but he, you know, it's always turned down. It just, you know, it just never worked. It just, he's, he's, um, and anyway, he would try to find work illegally, and, but he's always hiding, right? He's always living the burden, under the burden of being caught and sent back. He wasn't free. And, and four times he got caught and, and deported, and he would dangerously cross and swim again because it was just that worth it the blessings of being a U.S. citizen. And, and one day, he just was worn out with this. He was burdened and, and, and worn out, and he just said, okay, fine. I'm gonna go into an immigration office. And he goes into an immigration office, and he says, look, you know, let me, what do I gotta do here? And they, they go and search, and, and they find some papers. He comes back and he says, uh, we just want you to know that your father was actually born in Texas. And you're already a U.S. citizen. You always have been. All those years, he already possessed all the blessings of being an American citizen. And yet, all those years, he lived under the burden, the insecurity of trying to earn it. What happens when you increasingly wake up in the morning and believe that you don't need to prove yourself to God? You, you don't have to try to perform for him to make him love you, but, 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 but that God already has performed for you and your soul fills up with the blessing of just the assurance, the blessed assurance of knowing that he delights in you no matter what that day. It, it brings security to our insecurity. I don't have to measure up today. I don't have to beat myself up with guilt. There's no more curse. There's no, no more condemnation. I'm righteous in his eyes. And that, what about that feeling of superiority or critical spirit? It reminds us, well, the law reminds us. Look at the law. Cheer up. You're way worse than you, than you think you are. But then we look at Christ and see, look, I don't need a moral high ground to stand on. God's performed for me. So I'm more deeply loved and blessed than I ever dared hope free to hear criticism, free to forgive those who hurt you. See, the more the gospel of God's grace sinks in, the more the equation becomes like this. God's promise equals God's blessing, which produces your good fruit. Gosh, how would we not want to live for him? The more we simply believe God's promise he's performed for us through Christ, the more we feel free, set free from the burden of trying to earn it set free to live for Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father,
Without a doubt, there, there are some who are so burdened by their moral failures to keep your law. Without a doubt, there are some who are so confident that they are relying in the law. And I just pray, Lord, that both would be crushed under the law and at the same time, God, they would not, they would turn from self-reliance and turn to rely upon, to believe in a wonderful Savior who took the curse for us so that we might be forever blessed by you. Give us faith, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.